We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Our passage today is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much, of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another area, another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Sam. Good morning. It's good to see you all today. I hope that you've had a good week and enjoyed the, uh, the snow. And if you hate snow, then um, why do you live in Kansas City? Uh, but uh, it's been, been enjoyable for our family this week and to have a little, little rest from uh, the hecticness of life and, and to play some with it. It's been, been nice. It's good to see you guys. I, I hope that, um, uh, that this morning you, you find yourself in a place where the Lord will encourage you as, as we move throughout the rest of the service and already has done so. If you're a guest, it's, it's good to have you here. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And on behalf of our pastors and our um, members, it's, it's a joy to have you with us. We'd love to meet you after the service to, to hear how you came to 
to be with us, to answer any questions that you have. So we'd invite you to stop by the Connect table in the lobby to meet us. We'd love to talk through that with you. Hey, just a couple of announcements and we'll jump into this real quick. First, February 7th and 8th is our next membership weekend. Uh, this is the um, process through which someone can become a covenant member at Emmaus Church. So if you know that you wanna be a covenant member or if you're curious about what it means to be a covenant member here, we'd invite you to join us. It's a Friday night and a Saturday morning uh, and, and we'll go through what we believe uh, about doctrine or what we believe about God, what we believe about the church. We'll go through what does it mean to be a member, who, who is Emmaus, how do we find function and operate as a church, those sorts of things. So we'd invite you to come join us for that Friday night and Saturday. Uh, you can sign up on our website, social media, uh, and if you grab one of the, uh, the bulletins on your way in, there's a link there that you can go to and sign up as well. Uh, and then also, uh, starting on January 26th, uh, on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m., Pastor Ronnie will be teaching a four-week introduction to theology class. And so we did this about a year and a half ago. We had uh, slightly over 50 people that went through it, received great feedback from them on this class on the accessibility of it and on the um, just the, the information that they received and so we're excited for Pastor Ronnie to be able to offer that again. So that'd be 8 a.m. Uh, for four Sundays in a row beginning January 26th. It's going to be in the small theater here um, just outside the doors of this theater and so you do have to sign up for that. We have 65 spots available for that class and so make sure that you go to our website and social media to sign up for that as well. Hey let me pray and we'll jump into this word. Jesus, thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for allowing us the privilege of, of opening your scriptures today. I pray that you would do today within our hearts exactly what this passage says that you do. That you would use divine weapons of scripture, of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit would use these to tear down strongholds within our lives, to tear down our arguments and our lofty opinions, our defenses against you and your word, that you would take our hearts captive, take our thoughts captive. And do this for we have nothing else to offer other than what you do in this place. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians is a turning point. If you've not been here with us, uh, you're welcome to go back and listen online or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. But, but we've been journeying through this book and we find ourselves in chapter 10 today. Uh, we'll be uh, in the rest of 2 Corinthians over the next four or five weeks until we conclude this book. And chapter 10 is a uh, kind of a turning point for this letter. Uh, it's such a drastic change in tone and focus that some, um, some theologians even say that it's a different letter. Some would even say that it's the severe letter that we've referenced earlier in this letter, the, the letter that Paul wrote to scold the church at Corinth. I don't believe that's the case. I believe it's the same letter. I just believe Paul's changing his focus for us here. In verses 1 through 9, he seems to have the faithful and the obedient portion of the church in mind as he has written to encourage them, to call them to further faithfulness. He's spoken of relief and comfort and confidence in God and the Corinthians. In, verse, in chapters 10 through 13, however, Paul seems to have in view the wicked false teachers within this church and those who have followed them and are believing them. He's full of satire and sarcasm, spirited deference, reproach, and even vigorous attacks on the false teachers. Paul will come in verses 10 through 13, or in chapters 10 through 13, with authority of his apostleship. He's coming and he's bringing authority to a place where these teachers have actually questioned his authority. 
So if you remember the context, there are false teachers who have come in here who are teaching the Corinthians that, that Paul is a false apostle, that Paul does not carry authority, that Paul's word is not the, not the full gospel or the true gospel. They're leading these people to believe that Paul's a weak leader even. They're bragging about their own ability to speak cleverly, to, to look sharp, to have um, a very uh, philosophically uh, thought out arguments. And they're telling them that Paul is incapable of doing all of those things. Paul is a lesser teacher, a lesser leader because he hasn't come with those strengths. And they're leading them, sowing discord within the church and leading them away from Paul and the gospel. And so Paul writes here, and in chapter 10, he comes and he speaks of his authority, that God has given him authority to bring discipline upon them and to bring correction. Charles Hodge on this wrote, he, Paul, was indeed a man humble, and if they chose, even insignificant. But there was a slumbering in his arm and energy which they would do well not to provoke. He's a man who has come across as timid, as gentle. In fact, one of the accusations that they've made against him is that he speaks boldly and confidently and strongly with authority when he's safely at a distance through letter. But when he sees them face to face, he's a timid kitten, purring, soft, not a threat. Hodge says they would do well not to awaken the authority that is within him. Let's look at verse one. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Paul begins this portion of his letter by addressing directly his accusers about their accusation. He gets as in their face as you can via letter. He says, listen, I, Paul, look at me, look me in the face. I, Paul, am addressing you about what you've said to me. You said that I'm bold when away and timid when I'm present. I'm addressing you about that. Look at me. But he does so, he says, with meekness and gentleness of Christ. He wants them to know from the very outset, he's not angry, he's not lashing out. This isn't an uncontrollable fit of, of frustration with them. His, his emotions haven't just been spiked and he's out of control with what he's about to say and how he's about to bring his authority. I'm doing this with meekness and gentleness that Christ has, who had all authority, and yet came humbly and gently and lovingly called to repentance. I'm coming with this meekness, with this gentleness of Christ, but I'm coming. Verse two, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who, who, some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. As I'm coming with authority, and as I come with authority, I want you to know that I'm coming with meekness and gentleness of Christ, and I do not want to have to flex my authority. I beg of you to receive what I'm saying, to respond to what I'm saying in repentance and obedience, so that I do not have to demonstrate my authority on all of you, which I come prepared to demonstrate upon those who accuse us of walking according to the flesh. 
I'm coming with authority for some. I don't want to use that on all of you. Listen, respond in repentance and obedience. The accusation is that Paul is using weapons of the flesh to lead them. Now, we will see as he goes forward that, that Paul says he's using weapons of divine, of divine weapons, weapons of God. The weapons of the flesh that, that we would understand this to be is that Paul is in his ministry to the Corinthians using his fleshly ability, his fleshly skills. He's using his, his, his own human ability to lead them and to guide them and to share a gospel with them, if you will. Ironically, the very thing they're accusing him of is what they are doing. And yet Paul says here in verses two and three that he is not walking in according to these weapons of the flesh. So look at verse two. I beg of you when I am present that I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. He goes, listen, I, I admit I am walking in the flesh. I'm flesh and bones. There's sinfulness here. There's brokenness here. There's, there's, there's fleshliness that I'm walking in, but the weapons that I have used to you as a church and the weapons that I will bring with me to use with you as a church are not fleshly weapons. Specifically, what Paul is saying is he is not going to come with cleverness of speech with philosophical debate, with tricks and with schemes and with manipulation to coerce them to believe and follow him rather than these others. We'll see later in this passage, he's not going to come with comparisons between him and these people who have set themselves up as their teachers. He's not going to put them down and elevate himself. He's not going to play their game. He's not going to brag on his own ability to speak his own wisdom, his own intellect. Rather, what he's bringing are simply divine weapons. And these divine weapons that he is going to use will break down strongholds. In Cruz's commentary on this, he points out in other passages, such as 2 Corinthians 4, Romans 1, and 1 Corinthians, uh, and 1 Corinthians 1, that these weapons include, among them, the proclamation of the gospel. That what Paul is saying is, I'm not coming with cleverness of speech and all of these strengths of man to win you over. I'm coming with one thing, a divine weapon. I'm going to proclaim the gospel from God's scriptures to you. That is all that I have done and that's all that I will do. That is my weapon and it is enough. This weapon which I will yield, this divine weapon of the gospel of Christ, it will tear down strongholds. He's confident but this divine, in his divine calling, in his authority, and in these weapons given to him to tear down strongholds. What are the strongholds? Well, verse five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We're coming with divine weapons, and what we intend to do with these divine weapons is to break down every stronghold, your lofty opinions, 
your thoughts, your ideas, your strongholds, and your arguments that you've built up in front of you to defend yourself against God and who he is and what he says. Your cleverness of speech and your talking yourself out of um, guiltiness before God, your justification of yourself, your own opinions of who God is and how to get to him and how to please him, your apathy towards him and even your ignoring of him, we are coming to tear down these strongholds, these arguments, these lofty opinions. The world, church, has a lot of excuses of why they don't follow Christ. They'll even use scripture to develop their excuses. He's, a, he's too angry of a God in the Old Testament, so we have no place to follow him. Who would follow him? He's so loving in the New Testament. Surely there's room for all of us in his house. How loving he is. I don't believe in this. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by Christians. God has let me down. I haven't seen his existence. The world builds arguments, defenses against who he is, against his way. And, and we need to be careful, church, that we don't condemn the world for what we too were. We don't judge them for what we too were. We were all this way, were we not? Those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who are followers of Christ were this way. We had defenses, we had strongholds, we had our arguments of why we didn't believe Christ, of why we didn't trust in Jesus. Perhaps your argument was that you were good enough, that you haven't seen evidence that he was real. You had your scientific proof and you had your emotional proof and you had your wounds and you had your cleverly thought out arguments against who he is. And yet all of us in this room who are followers of Jesus are testimonies of this very power from which Paul is speaking of. That there was a point in your life and my life when the strongholds in our lives were crashed upon by the weapons of this God, the proclamation of his gospel and the spirit used that to destroy our strongholds and to take our hearts and our thoughts captive. If you believe in Jesus today, if you've put your faith in him, this is the very thing that has happened within you. I love that Paul is not simply concerned with proving their thoughts faulty. Where Paul is not coming in with this plan of I'm going to come and I'm going to bring my clever ideas and I'm going to bring my philosophical debate and I'm going to bring my intellect and I'm going to squash them. They think they're so high. They think they're so mighty. They think they're so smart. They think they're so clever. They think they have authority. Wait till they see what I'm about to unleash on them. Taking no prisoners. And Paul could have done that. Paul had that ability. But what Paul does, he goes, I'm coming with none of that. All I'm bringing is the gospel. And I will proclaim it in the spirit is going to tear down strongholds, not for the purpose of destroying, but the, for the purpose of taking captive their hearts, their thoughts. It's Paul's desire not to see the opponents crushed, but to see the opponents won. He wants to see their hearts and their minds won by the power of the gospel. And perhaps you've heard this this verse, this phrase quoted to you at times in life where you have to take your thoughts captive. I'm just trying to take my thoughts captive. Perhaps it's come in seasons of battles with lust or self-hatred 
negativity. It also applies to false beliefs, our own justifications against our sin, and any thought or idea that we have that's contrary to Scripture and to God's Word. We would do well to hear what Paul's plan is here and to heed it for ourselves as a healthy practice. Paul goes, I'm going to use the gospel from Scripture, this divine weapon, to tear down strongholds and take hearts captive, take thoughts captive. The way that you and I practice this, if someone were to tell you, take your thoughts captive, it's not an action we do by our own mere discipline. It's us coming to the scriptures, to the word, and going, every idea I have about any realm of life, I submit to Christ in his scriptures. And if there's any place within my life that my thoughts don't line up with what his scriptures say, no matter how much sense it doesn't make to me, I'm choosing to believe Christ, not myself. Your thoughts about whatever relationship that you're in, your thoughts about sexuality, gender roles, your thoughts about money, about vocation, your thoughts about parenting, about marriage, your thoughts about whatever sin you're wrestling with, whatever thing that you're going through, your thoughts about your depression, about your heartache, about your trauma, your thoughts about politics, the way that you think and indulge in entertainment, whatever realm of life, every realm of life, we are to bring to God's word and go, this is what I have thought, but I'm submitting it to you. Would you take my thoughts captive? See, this isn't just the process of salvation. It's also the process of our sanctification. We are saved by the Spirit taking our hearts captive and breaking down our strongholds. And we're continually sanctified to be more like Christ as our strongholds are over and over again broken down by the weapons of God. And we submit our thoughts to his word. Verse 6. Let's read 5 again. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul goes, listen, we're coming with strongholds to tear, or we're coming with the weapons of God to tear down your strongholds to captivate, to capture and, and, and take prisoner your thoughts and, and your hearts. And we're coming ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. It's a strange sentence. It's a strange phrase. It's, what does he mean by this? So, so when I become obedient, then you're going to punish all my previous disobedience. What, what are you meaning? Paul's referring to two different groups of people. We are coming ready to punish all the disobedience of those who refuse to repent and obey when the rest of your lives become obedient and are ready to participate in that. There are some within you, church, who will not obey and repent. We're gonna come punish them. But church, we're calling the rest of you to come into a place of obedience 
so that we can punish them. The idea that Paul's referring to is what we call church discipline. That there's a group of people who refuse to repent and come in alignment with God's word within the church. And Paul is coming to bring church discipline upon them. Yet what Paul knows, what he realizes, what he recognizes is that he needs the entire church to be a part of this. This is not an authority for Paul to come wield by himself. Because if the whole church doesn't come into obedience to Scripture, if the remainder of the church, the rest of the church, doesn't come into obedience with Scripture, see these false teachers for what they are, false teachers. See their gospel for what it is, a false gospel. See their discord within the church for what it is, a divisive tool of the enemy to break apart the church of God. If they don't see that and recognize that, it doesn't matter what Paul says about them or what he brings upon them himself, they will continue to embrace them. And so Paul calls the church to quit sinning, i.e. tolerating their disobedience and to come into obedience themselves and to support the discipline that's coming for those who refuse to repent. It's a practice of church discipline. Verse seven, look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we, right? Look at what is obvious before you. These false teachers have given you a host of evidence that they are Christ's servants and that I am not. But if you will look at what's plain to see, you'll see an amazing amount of evidence that I too am Christ's servant, even more so. Namely, the evidence we're going to see in a moment that Paul brings out before them that he, I believe, is referencing here is them, the church. Paul is the one who came to this city. Paul is the one who brought the gospel to them. Paul is the one who proclaimed the gospel and they were saved and this church was planted. He goes, look at the evidence before you. There's evidence that I am Christ's servant. Trust me, listen to me, heed my authority. Verse eight, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave me for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Paul's sentence is this, for even if I boast too much of my authority, I won't be ashamed. But he inserts into the middle of there kind of a, an aside. Even if I boast too much of this authority, which God has given me for building you up, not for your destruction. So first, let's look at his aside. The whole purpose of Paul's authority over this church, which he is coming to flex, is to build them up, not to destroy them. It's to build them up, not destroy them. This, this authority from which Paul is coming to them, this authority of his teaching, of his correcting, and even of his disciplining and punishing them, it is a gift of God for them, not a curse from God for them. God has given him this gifting to come and bring this authority. He's given him this authority as a gift for them to come and, and implement it. And he's given it to him for their building up, to, to, to build up, to give them life, to give them hope, to, to resurrect their broken, sinful souls. There's the building them up that is in it, not to destroy them, not to flatten them, but can we be honest? 
most of the time, the corrective authoritative hand of God in our lives feels like we're being destroyed. Our sin, our pride, our lofty opinions and strongholds that we have built give alert that this is our destruction. And we fight it. Pastor Sam and I were discussing with a church member who was in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin and refused to recognize it. We were meeting with this person and talking through the sin and and calling for repentance and and trying to use scripture to to let them see this is the sin that you're in. This is why it's sin. Please please repent. Come back. Let us us walk with you through this to, to holiness. Like turn from this sin. And this professing believer, a member of our church, had all of these defenses and strongholds they had built against this. Utilizing scripture to defend their actions, twisting the words of God to give justification for their sin, using other people's validation of what they were doing as their justification rather than looking at Christ's condemnation of it as their conviction. And I can attest that throughout this conversation, the conversations that followed, Pastor Sam was steady with gentleness and meekness and love and sorrow, pleading, begging, asking them to come in repentance. The person refused. They felt like we, in fact, they accused us of wielding spiritual power for their destruction, spiritual abuse by bringing forth their sin. Church, there is no other argument I can give you for church membership more important to me or more obvious to me than this. That you would place yourself within a fellowship of God, within a body of Christ, church family, who will practice church discipline when there's unrepentant sin. My biggest argument for church discipline or for church membership to you is that it makes you disciplinable. And that sounds so counterintuitive to the strongholds we put up, doesn't it? So you want me to, to covenant myself to this so that then if there's sin in my life, you can correct me? Yes, if you care about your soul. If you care about the integrity of your walk with Christ, if you care about holiness, if you care about gospel, yes. That whether it's this church or another church, that that you would find a place who practices church discipline for unrepentant sin, loving, loving, uh, meek, gentle correction of sin in your life and would walk with you through that, pleading with you for repentance. Because it's God's gift to us to build us up, not to destroy us. So Paul says, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Verse nine, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. So Paul says, listen, you may think I'm boasting too much about what I'm going to do. You may think that I am speaking over my ability to follow through with this. 
but my bark has bite. I'm not just yapping and then will come be cuddly. I'm bringing the authority that I said I'm bringing. You would do well to listen. Verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. These false teachers among you and those following them are saying that we are all bark, no bite. I promise you there's bite. We're coming with authority. Loving, gentle, but we are coming with authority. We're not gonna compare ourselves against them as they have done to us, as they do with each other. That's not my goal, but we are coming. When they compare themselves to each other as they do, and and this was a practice of of the teachers of the day, they they would say, look at my strength versus their weakness. Look at my speaking ability versus their speaking ability. Look at my um, physical presence versus their physical presence. Look at my authoritative stance versus their authoritative stance. Look, I'm the greater leader. I'm the greater teacher. Come follow me. Paul goes, I'm not gonna play that game. When they do, they think that they're making themselves wise, but they're only becoming unwise. And he says, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to boast, verse 13, beyond limits. But we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Verse 15. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Paul says, we, I'm not gonna compare myself to them, but I am not going to boast as they do. They are boasting beyond their means, beyond their limits. These teachers were boasting that this church in Corinth was the result of their labors, their work. They were boasting of their skills and their abilities, which Paul says is unwise to do. Paul goes, I'm not going to boast outside my limits. My boasts will be within the parameters of God's authority that he has given me and the work that he is doing through me centered upon the person and the work of Christ. That is my boast. Paul goes, I came to you, I brought the gospel to you. And my boast is that I long to see the gospel go beyond you. I pray that I would be a part of that. I'm not going to boast in my ability to speak. I'm not going to boast in my clever intellect. I'm not going to boast in my being able to convince you of truth, I'm simply going to come with the weapons of God, proclaim the gospel, and I'm going to boast that God has given authority over you in the gospel. That is my boast. Church, there are a number of ways that we boast. When we hear the word boast, we often think of like bragging, like I'm I'm boasting by, I'm bragging, I'm I'm using my words and I'm using my my fingers as I type and I'm I'm putting things out there for others to see, bragging on myself. That is part of boasting. But boasting is, is further than that, it's deeper than that. It's it's that process by which you are 
contemplatively thinking about yourself, searching who you are, and it's what you find that brings you validation. When you think about who you are and why you have value, it's what you land on as your point of value. That's your boast. Perhaps your validation, your value, perhaps your boast is in your intelligence. You're a smart person. You've worked hard to be educated. You read well. You know much about a lot of things. You find boasting in knowing more than others know. That's your value. Perhaps your boast is in your looks and your health, the way that you care for yourself, the way that you present yourself. Perhaps your boasting is in your sharp leadership, your business sense. You're good with people. You're good at making decisions, the right decisions, decisions that lead to prospering. And you find value for yourself, validation of who you are in that thing. Perhaps your boasting is in your parenting. You pride yourself on being the best parent in any circle that you're in and letting everyone else know you're the best parent in that circle. Perhaps your boasting is in your marriage. Or perhaps it's in your spirituality and even your ministry as these men's were. You pride yourself in how much of scripture you've read and how often you read it and how long you read it and what your prayer life is like and what the last Bible study was that you did and who the last person that you discipled was. I discipled this many people. How many people are you discipling? I'm going to the nations. I care about putting myself in harm's risk to share the gospel with people. And you find boasting and pride in that. Your validation is in that rather than the person in the work of Christ. Perhaps you're boasting feels a little bit different because as you look at your life and as others would look at your life, there's actually very little that they, people would see as an act of boasting. Perhaps you're not overly good looking and you don't present yourself well or, or you're not intellectual and you're not a very good parent. Perhaps you, you, you aren't overly spiritual. Perhaps your boasting is in the fact that you're just a survivor. You came from so much heartache and brokenness and trauma and hurt, and you survived. Look at you. I mean, I'm just, I'm just a survivor. There's nothing else in my life to boast about, but man, I survive. I can be boasting. Perhaps you're having trouble identifying within your heart what your area of boasting is, and a good way to identify it would simply be, what area are you devastated in if it doesn't come to fruition? What part of your life destroys you when it's not met as an ideal image? Paul goes, don't boast outside your limits. Don't boast in these things. Don't boast in your own abilities and your speaking and your performance. Don't boast in your intellect. Don't boast in your clever ideas. Boast only in Christ, he says. Verse 17, let the one who boasts which is all of us, we all boast. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Boast in Christ. 
when you search your heart and you search your inner being for value and for validation and for acceptance, push past all the things that you naturally would look to and cling to, when you first go, oh yeah, I'm good at this, and oh, I'm great at that, and oh, I have this ability, Paul goes, keep pushing, keep digging past that, don't settle for that boast, go beyond that to Christ. Christ created you, and Christ has saved you, and Christ sustains you. He is your boast. There's nothing else that you bring to the table. Sam's already led us in confession of this today. We bring nothing to the table for our salvation. You bring nothing to the table for your existence today. You didn't decide to wake up. Christ, who holds you in his hand, woke you. And Christ is the one who has redeemed you from your sin, tearing down your strongholds, taking your thoughts and your heart captive. Boast in Christ. Don't settle for lesser boasts. Find your value there. Five brief pastoral charges from this passage. First, proclaim the gospel. Church, proclaim the gospel. It is a divine weapon given to you to tear down strongholds and capture hearts to obedience with Christ. Proclaim the gospel. Be a people who wield the weapon that's been given to us by which the spirit then takes control of lives. Wield the weapon of the gospel. Proclaim it with gentleness, with love, with meekness. Wield the gospel. Share it and watch the spirit save lives as he captures thoughts and ideas and hearts. Secondly, Submit all of your thoughts to God through his scriptures. Take every thought captive, submitting it to Christ. In order to do so, church, you have to be a people of the word. You cannot submit your thoughts to the word if you don't know what the word says. Be people of the scriptures, people of the word. And when it points out strongholds in your life where your life has lofty ideas which are contrary to God and his word, submit them to him and trust him. Thirdly, embrace church discipline as a gift from God to build you up. When your fellow brother or sister in Christ points out sin, when they correct you, when they gently and lovingly walk with you and help you see your broken beliefs, your beliefs that don't glorify God, your ideals and your actions that are not in line with scripture. Receive it. Embrace it as God's gift to you to build you up. Repent. Fourth, boast in Jesus. Boast in Jesus. Push past all your lesser boasts. Find your boast in Jesus. And fifth, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if your strongholds are up, your ideas and your, your questions and your strongholds have been placed, if you're even listening to this sermon going, yeah, but, I pray 
that you would hear the gospel preached and that that weapon of God's divine power would release the spirit to crush your stronghold and to capture your heart and your thoughts to obedience in Christ. Place your faith and your hope in him. It's only in him that you find life. Every week we take communion to conclude our time in the word. And today we invite all of you who are followers of Jesus, all of you who have had your hearts captured by the spirit through the proclamation of the gospel to believe that Jesus is the son of God who died to forgive you of your sins and has risen again. You've placed your faith in that. We invite you to come take. And as you take, remembering the broken body and the shed blood of Christ, may you do so today with thankfulness that he has captured your heart and torn down your strongholds. And may you do so as a prayer that he would continue to capture your heart and tear down the strongholds which you place up. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, our invitation to you today is not to come take this bread and, and wine, but instead to stay in your seat. And today to allow the spirit to capture your heart, your thoughts, and tear down your strongholds. Believe in him today. He is so good. He is so full of grace towards you. Come to him and find that today. If you have questions, we'd love to answer those after this service. Find me, find one that takes this and ask them, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for tearing down strongholds in my life and in the lives of so many. Would you continue to do that within us? And Jesus, may our only boast, may our only boast be in you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, come and take. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.